Good morning. Next week, we will return you to your regularly scheduled program. Um, it's great to see everybody this morning. I'm, it's, it's always nice to be able to worship with family and friends, and it's, be, it's great to be able to be here. Um, small personal note, um, just because I haven't really talked about it. Um, Jen, we will have baby number three in less than six weeks. It's come up very quickly, so I would appreciate your prayers. Jen has officially finished nursing school, so she managed to pull that off nine months pregnant. I'm not sure how. Um, but I appreciate your prayers to this point, and I would ask your continued prayers going forward. We're in the final stretch of baby number three, and thankfully, so far, everything's going well. Um, and I'm, you know, as with any dad, I'm not really sleeping right now, so this will be uh, interesting. When I was thinking about what I wanted to preach, usually I try to come up with a sermon that I wish I had heard when I was a Christian, when I was growing up as a Christian, or something that I wish somebody had told me that I found out later in life. So hopefully what I've come up with this morning is something that you can take away from. And I want to give credit where credit is due. The inspiration for this sermon comes out of a book that was published in 1853. Um, I have a small library in my room, and on it are a lot of really old and wonderful books, and I love them, and I'm fascinated by them. And it's a book called Psychomancy, and it was written by Professor Charles G. Page. He was a doctor. And what the book is actually about is about a doctor who, in 1853, a medical doctor and scientist, who was out to disprove people who were claiming they could talk to the dead. That's what the book is actually about. But what's interesting about the book is that for the first 50 pages of the book is a profession of faith. And in it, he makes an interesting connection I hadn't really thought about before. He talked about in this book, and again, this is, a, this is over, you know, pushing 200 years old now. He talked about in this book how this idea of psychics and mediums and people who could talk to the dead, how originally people thought that they were working with the power of God. Oh, these people were talking to the dead because they have powers from God. And when they realized that there was no basis for that in scripture, it then became, oh, they're doing this with powers of Satan. And so became the association of the two, of psychics and that they must be, you know, doing this. And in his book, he talks about how we need to be very careful who we give credit to for what. That we give credit to God for what it is, and we don't give too much credit to Satan. That we need to be willing to look at what people are doing and realize this is the work of man. Now, it could be influenced by the devil, but that doesn't necessarily mean he could have nothing to do with it. We need to realize that the actions of man are the actions of man. And it was before my time, and I didn't look it up, but the ever-famous saying of, the devil made me do it, we're all familiar with that. And there was kind of a big resurgence of this idea in uh, the 1940s and 50s, and mostly the 60s, really, when we had the big religious movements in the South and in the United States, and when televangelists were really getting going, and even now, this idea of casting demons out of these people that just happened to be in their audience on national television, and it created this scare again of what Satan and the devils can do, and the demons can do, and what they can do to us, and how they can control us against our will. So I thought I would do an interesting sermon. It was interesting to me. Hopefully you find it as well. 
what powers of Satan actually are. And the scripture is actually very clear on this. Here's what he can't do. A couple things I want to understand. The world has made him an equal opposite to God. And he's not. And scripture backs this up. He is a fallen angel. Luke chapter 10, verse 17. Now, to give the context, because I don't want to read the full chapter, but to give the context, and I encourage you to do so on your own. Jesus has chosen 72 disciples. He sent them out in pairs ahead of him to all these different cities to kind of prepare, hey, by the way, Jesus is going to be coming. That's their whole job. And he's given them certain power, and he's told them to go and proclaim that I am coming before I get there. Okay? Verse 17, Then the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. So right there, number one, we see that there's a fear of the demons, that they're afraid of God, or they're afraid of Jesus. And Jesus and he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all of the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. So Jesus himself has said that I have seen Satan, some versions say the devil, some versions say Lucifer, depending on what translation you're using, fall like lightning from heaven. We see, if we go back to Job, that even Satan approaches God as a servant. In Job 1.6, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also among them. Okay, I did a little bit of research into this verse. Bear with me. The sons of God. When I read that, I wanted to know what he was talking about because it's kind of a vague phrase. You know, we call ourselves the children of God. What's he talking about? Satan was also among them. Sons of God. In Hebrew, B'nai Ha'elohim translates to sons of God and generally considered to be angels. The Codex Alexandrinus. This was written around 400 A.D., somewhere around there, 400 to 440 A.D. It's the most complete set of the translated scripture that we have into Greek. It's the Greek Old Testament, uh, Septuagint, and the Greek New Testament. And it's the most complete record we have, and it's from about 400 A.D. The phrase they use, I don't speak Greek. Hebrew is one thing. Greek is all, <laughs> it's all Greek to me. Um, I have it underlined. And I believe it's hoi huas tau theo, but it translates to angels of God. So these sons of God that have come before God are angels of God, and Satan was also among them. Okay? He didn't stand up to God as an equal. He is among the angels, the created beings, in front of God. Stay, still in Job, he could not tempt without God's permission. He was limited. Job 1, verse 12, And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand, only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. God gave him a limitation he could not break. And we're pretty familiar with this. We know the story of Job. Okay. Part of, I think, 
and, and Larry's class this morning was a great class and it gave me a lot of ideas. And that's, that's one of the things when you have a lot of great ideas and then you have to go do a sermon, they're all running through your head. When I think about where things came from, our culture, our society in America and in the world, we've built up Satan in our minds to be, and don't get me wrong, he's powerful, but we've made him more powerful and we've given him more control over us than he deserves. And I remember something I was told as a kid, because uh, believe it or not, there was a time I was shorter than everybody else. I got bullied and picked on a lot. And I remember, um, I remember my dad telling me that giving them attention lets them live rent-free in your head. The more attention that we give to it, the more power we give them, the more control they have over us. And I think it was about that day that my dad said, just stand up to him. He can't do anything unless God has allowed it. We see again, Matthew 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Okay? Here's what's interesting about this phrase. The spirit, in Hebrew, Rosh HaKadosh of Hashem, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Satan couldn't come near to Jesus. Jesus had to go to him. It's another way to look at it. We see he can't physically harm without God's permission. Job chapter 2, verse, verses 4 through 6. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, only spare his life. So we see again another limitation. If Satan were truly the equal to God, God wouldn't be able to put limitations and restrictions on him. So the reality is about Satan, he's not the opposite of God. He still has to approach God as a created being by him, as a subordinate. He can't tempt without God's permission. He can't harm without God's permission. And yet, for some reason, we have seen fit in our culture to deify him as somebody who has this control over us, beyond our power to handle, beyond our power to deal. He controlled our actions. Satan made me do it. He didn't make you do a single thing. This is one of the harder questions. Why did God allow it? It's a bit of a paradox, isn't it? You have God who wants us to be perfect, wants us to strive to be like Jesus, who wants us to be his children, who wants us to worship him, why would he allow one of his own created beings to tempt us? Why would he allow one of his own created beings to lead us into sin, or rather put the path in front of us and let us walk down it all on our own into sin? Why would God allow it? That question is why I left the church when I was 17. Didn't make sense to me. And then when I was about 24, I found the answer. 
1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. So number one, nothing is new here. I'm not dealing with anything that you're not, that you haven't dealt with at some point in your life. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Again, it's still asking the question in my mind. That made sense, but why still allow it? Why allow your children to go through this? And we come to the verse that we read for our reading. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Do you know how steel is made? How iron is forged? How gold is purified? Quite literally by fire. You see, when they make something, I'll use, um, I have a ring. This was a gift from Jen. Silver. How this is made, you see the silver is taken and it's melted. And when it's melted, all of the impurities that are in it, which silver, if you were to look at a chunk of silver, is a beautiful thing. It's shiny and it looks good and it has value. And then we take it and we melt it and we see the impurities come up. And then the blacksmith will remove the impurities from the molten. But until it is tested, until it is tried, until it is burned, you can't remove the impurities. They are physically a part of this object. This beautiful thing still has all these impurities that are a part of it. That's essentially how steel is made. When steel and iron are melted together, the impurities come up and you get hardened steel. You get hardened iron. The more something is burned, the more something is tried, the more something is tested, the more purified it becomes on the other side. You can't create beautiful jewelry while it still has impurities. We can't be better than the people we are until we learn that through fire and flame that we can have these things removed from us. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about, remember who he's talking to. He's talking to blacksmiths. He's talking to fishermen. He's talking to people who work with their hands for a living. They understand this concept. This is a new thing to us because we have everything made for us. The more something is worked, the better it is. So what is Satan? Two words. Coward. That's it. He's a coward. He's a bully. What do we do to bullies? We stand up to him. You can run and slink away from a bully all your life. The bully never stops bullying you. And something I distinctly remember, standing up to a guy about twice my size who was a bully, and I remember getting pummeled into the pavement. But <clears throat> it didn't happen after that. You see, when we become less of a target, when we become and we show the bully we are not weak, we may get beaten down when we do it. But the more you stand up and fight, the more the bully realizes you are not Weak. You are not easy prey. How does the Bible depict the devil? We have this idea that he's this little red guy that sits on our shoulder, or this secret thing slumping around in the shadows. This is this idea that we have of the devil. 1 Peter 5, 8 calls him a roaring lion. Ever been to the zoo? Roaring lions are kind of hard to miss. They don't exactly sneak up on you. He's a bully. He's a coward. 
hides behind guff and bravado, hides behind all the things that we love, hides behind all the things that we want to do. James 4, 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Stand up to the bully. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your job to gloom. Job, uh, I think it's supposed to be jovial. Sorry, typo. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Reality. There's no real power other than what you give him. I grew up hearing my whole life. I wish somebody had told me that when I was younger. I wish somebody had told me that when I was a new Christian because <laughs> I grew up my whole life hearing about how, how all the temptation, how Satan's going to work hard on you, and, how, and, and, and all of this. We, we, we created this a bigger monster. He's really a very small being created by God that's weaker, limited by God, and we give him all the power that he has. shorter sermon, I know. But the end point is this. Satan, here, here's a truth. I believe to be true. Satan does work harder on us. He's already got them. He's already got them doing whatever they want to do. He's already got them living lives of sin that they get to go and live. He's already got us doing that when we're weak. I firmly believe temptation hits Christians harder than it hits anybody else in the world. Because we're the ones he doesn't have. Truth of the matter is he has no real power. And the other truth of the matter is this. <clears throat> if you're not a child of God, guess what? He's already got you. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You know what the opposite of that statement is? Do nothing, and he stands right next to you. He's already standing right there. He doesn't leave until we stand up to him. Maybe that's where we get this cartoonized idea of the devil on your shoulder. And if you're not a Christian, well... He's got you. He gets the pleasure of standing right next to you all day long. So the invitation is this. Resist him. Answer the call. Stand up to him. And standing up to him requires action. I can say in my head all day long I'm going to stand up to the bully, but until I actually stand up to the bully, nothing happens. Thinking it and feeling it in my heart does me no good if I don't actually stand up to the bully. So there is actually an action required. Mark 16, 16. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He who does not believe shall be condemned. He who does not believe still has Satan standing right next to him. He's got no reason to go anywhere. So answer the call. The scripture is clear. The scripture is plain. 
And I wish somebody had told me a long time ago that he doesn't have to have, he doesn't have, to have any power. God made us greater than the angels. He gave us a chance at salvation. The scripture tells us he gave us a chance at salvation the angels don't have. If you're subject to the invitation, if there's anything you need, prayers, support, come to the front as we stand and sing.